Hello, Freedom Fighters, and welcome to the First in Freedom podcast, where we discuss current threats to our freedom, how the impact is here at home, and what we can do to stop it. In this week's Freedom Focus, I interview Levi Green, businessman and now candidate for Stanley County Commissioner. I'm your host, Jason Phibbs, and we're taking freedom back. Freedom is a fragile thing, and it's never more than one generation away from extinction. If we lose freedom here, there's no place to escape to. This is the last stand on Earth. So this week, uh, to start the show, I wanted to uh, look back at the book, Live Not By Lies, um, that I've been reading here occasionally as I get time to do so, and and hope you've been doing as well. And one of the parts here in Chapter 4 is talking about China and is talking about their social credit system. And in the social credit system, essentially, China has created a very sophisticated way of of monitoring and policing their people and the ideology of their people and essentially punishing them or rewarding them through different financial credits and and ways that allow them to do things or take away privileges for them. And essentially, this very much looks like, you know, sort of the modern um, tyranny and uh, and communist type state that unfortunately right now America is headed towards. But in there, the author talks about this, uh, he mentions the contrast between uh, Orwell and Huxley. And for those who aren't familiar, Orwell and Huxley were authors uh, of the 20th century who both wrote um, very famous, or what ended up being famous, dystopian novels. So George Orwell wrote uh, 1984, which many of you are probably already familiar with, and then Huxley wrote Brave New World. And within those two uh, dystopian futures, they, they both painted pictures of where they thought we were going as a, as a people. And the key difference between the two was that Orwell saw our future as being, uh, or I guess us as people being submitted, submitted to the government um, by uh, superior force, by you know, uh, military, by um, coercion by restrictive laws, you know, banning books, things of that nature. That was sort of the the dystopian future that Orwell saw was government watching you at every corner and really just through their their own might and power making you do what they want you to do. Huxley, on the other hand, had a very interesting spin on it where he saw it more as government was essentially just going to make your life comfortable and make your life so comfortable and get you so focused on pleasure that you wouldn't even realize, and in fact, you would be okay with the servitude that they would put you under. And so in speaking to that, the author is, is speaking about China, and he's talking about how, you know, it's not like they don't have access to information. They have the internet, they have resources, and sure, there's censorship, and there's different things of that nature. But this quote he uh, he mentions, or this, this quote from the book that I wanted to read to you, I think really speaks to me about where we are. Um, And it definitely sort of shifted my view a little bit about the type of future that we're headed towards. He says, but the condition of the youth in consumerist China is more Huxley than Orwell. As the American media critic Neil Postman once said, Orwell feared a world in which people would be forbidden to read books. Huxley, by contrast, feared a world in which no one would have to ban books because no one would want to read them in the first place. This, says David, a prior person that he had quoted is China today. 
Even though a great deal of information remains available to students, they don't care about it. And I think as much as anything over the past two years during the pandemic, this has been one of the most concerning things to me. It's not just been the tyranny that we've been under and all of the radical things that government has done to strip away individual liberty and deprive us of our liberty, but it's the the inability or unwillingness of anyone to fight back. You know, mandate after mandate was put out there, and, and even still now there, there was just news broke uh, yesterday or yeah, it was yesterday that some school system within San Diego in, in uh, California, they are mandating vaccines for the upcoming school year. Kids must be fully vaccinated uh, with you know, COVID-19 or from COVID-19 in order to attend school. And yet there was maybe 20 parents there. And San Diego obviously is a big place, much bigger than, you know, a lot of the rural areas here in North Carolina. And this is what we've seen over and over again. We've talked about it among the people that that I associate with and people that have been at the school board meetings and commissioners meetings and different things over the past year to, you know, six months or so. It's the lack of people's involvement. We are it's apathy that is destroying us. We are so distracted by whatever. It is, or maybe it's the, the 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 you know the desire not to know, the sort of put your head in the sand and pretend like everything's okay, or that everything will get better. This is how we're allowing this. We have the freedom and the rights and the opportunity guaranteed by our constitution to go and petition our government and to bring about change, and it's almost impossible to get anyone to even try to fight it. And that, perhaps as much as anything, is the most discouraging. And so I, I say this as a warning to us that it, it's not, you know, in terms of the, the, the fear or the, the, the future that we face, it's not so much about the authoritarianism of rules and laws and, and uh, you know, sort of a police state, if you will, although that's certainly possible. But it's more so the fact that we're being lulled into servitude as much as anything. Um this one writer in talking about the, the comparison between the two uh, books, he makes this, he talks about Huxley, Huxley's view. And he says, Huxley, on the other hand, showcased a society wherein the masses were unnervingly docile, soothed by modern pleasures and unbothered by the, unbothered by the great status sweep. Huxley's vision was that of a society mollified and surprisingly amenable to control, meaning they were okay with it. The pacification of the masses, he implied, was gradual and perpetuated and perpetrated by a populace blissfully unaware of their own complicity, seduced by a life of painless ease and technology's shiny baubles. Huxley memorably warned in his pages that men would come to, quote, love their servitude, end quote. And that's what it feels like today. It's not just that we are being ruled, but that we want it. That we want big government to come in and take over our lives and and run everything for us so that we don't have to think about it. We want more welfare. We want more handouts. We want more dependency. What else can you conclude? The government roles grow every day. And there's no one there's no one beating down the door of our elected officials telling them to stop. There may be a handful of us out there, but the masses, you know, I've said to 
several people that, you know, if there were two or 300 people at school, at the school board meetings starting a year ago, there wouldn't have been mass starting this past school year. And there would have been a whole heck of a lot more action uh, on some of these other issues like quarantines and, um, uh, and vaccination and different things of that nature. But there wasn't. And so when you only have a few people standing up to fight, they're easy to dismiss. And so that's, uh, that's just a, a warning for today and, and another, another good uh, lesson there in the, in the book, Live Not By Lies. So I encourage you to check that out. So now let's get to news you need to know. So in today's news, you need to know, I've only got one story for you. Um, Not a whole lot going on in the news lately. I mean, obviously there's things from a North Carolina perspective, but nothing really worthy of note, at least from my perspective. So, you know, if you saw some things, feel free to drop me a line on on social media or email or what have you. But the one thing I wanted to call out was from our local county school board meeting um, from this month. And and that was last, last week. And I'll title this, you know, School Board Fights for Early Start Calendar. And so at this month's meeting, the school board discussed their latest efforts to fight for an early start calendar to combat learning loss, quote unquote learning loss. Since raising this issue, they have passed a resolution, secured passage of a resolution by the county commissioners, tasked our district superintendent to mock up a new calendar to follow for next year. They expressed desire to rally other counties and urged all of us to lobby our state reps and contact our friends in other counties to do the same. So I want you to hear this short clip just to get a feel for what this sounded like at the last meeting. And if you're in another county, you know, don't tune out because this is going on everywhere. I think this is important to see the comparison or to see what it looks like when our elected officials really want to fight for something. So let's listen to this clip. The next on your agenda, board members, if you remember, at our last meeting, I had asked Dr. Dennis to prepare for us a calendar resolution where we knew we needed to enter school at an earlier date. This was a part of trying to um, help with lost learning. And I guess I just want people to realize that that resolution is more to me than just a sheet of paper. Now, for those in Raleigh, it might not mean more than a sheet of paper. I don't know. But therefore, to follow up with that, I have asked Dr. Dennis to create a type of draft calendar of what an early calendar would look like. So here's what I would like to bring to you, board members. I know that there's some surrounding counties that they are... They are, they are going to be drafting um, an early start calendar. Again, what our state legislature does with that, I don't know. But I'm hoping that if we get a good number of surrounding counties that are saying, we, turned in a, we did a resolution and now we're going to follow it up with an early start calendar, then that ball's in your court to the legislature because we're trying to address learning loss in our county and we're trying to do the best that we can by our students. So here's what I would like to have from you, board members. If you like this calendar or if you like the things about this calendar, 
I would like to have a motion that we give Dr. Dennis the approval, the direction, so that he can meet back with his calendar committee, because I know it goes through a process, correct, Dr. Dennis? And for them to have time to bring to us at our next board meeting an early start calendar that we will take action on. I'll make a, oh, sorry, go ahead. Um, I would like to make the motion that we move forward with this calendar because we need to do what's best for our students for learning loss and get these exams finished up before Christmas so that we can combat the um, issues we've had post-COVID. I'll second. Okay, so we've had a motion by Ms. Poplin, a second by Mr. Graves, and what we're doing is giving Dr. Dennis the go-ahead and the calendar committee to bring back to us the calendar that we will vote on in our April meeting, and it will be an early start calendar. Okay, we've had a motion, we've had a second. Um, any discussion from board members? I would like to make one comment. For the people that have just been uh, starting to follow what's happening um, in Stanley County Schools, this is a massive issue. Uh, I know we'll talk about it when we um, get more information on the proposed early uh, schedule uh, next month. But this is a massive problem, and I would just encourage everyone, uh, once the new schedule um, I was, could probably be approved by the school board, is to contact your representatives, your state representatives, and get them to move on this. This impacts every single student in Stanley County Schools. Every single student, it's been a major problem um, for the state of North Carolina for I don't know how long, as long as I've been following um, the, the school system, eight, 10, 12 years. Uh, and this is one thing that we can do that would impact every single student in a positive way in Stanley County Schools. So we're gonna need the public's help, um, not only from Stanley County, but your friends in other counties that are gonna try to do this too, to reach out to your elected officials and get them to um, support us. Thanks. All right, so that was uh, that was the local school board meeting here in Stanley County about a week ago, um, and you heard them talking about this early start calendar, and essentially what this is, for those who aren't familiar with it, essentially it's just allowing them to start school a little bit earlier, I think maybe a week or so, something to that effect, so that uh, midterm exams can be done before the holiday break. Now, there may be some other benefits in there. And quite frankly, I'm not even against this. I don't, you know, if, if that's what they think is best and that helps for exams and, and student performance and things of that nature, that's fine. That's not the point. The point here is, is I, want you to, I wanted you to hear their language and how passionate they are about this, how much they want this to change. You heard them talking about the seriousness of learning loss, how we want to do what's best for our students, how this is a massive problem. Now, don't you think those things applied to masks, to sending healthy children home via quarantine and not allowing them to go to school through the thousands of PCR tests that these children probably have taken over the past year, through all of the learning loss that has happened as a result of the pandemic? And not once in any of the school board meetings did I hear this kind of language about those things. Were those things not massive problems? Those, those things that, that the, the children of this state have endured, our county, your county, children all across this, this state and country have suffered learning loss along with physical, social, psychological harm 
from mask and quarantine and all the other ramifications of that. Missed out on in-person events, missed out on hanging out with their friends, you know, doing athletic events, all the things that, that kids look forward to in their, in their school age years that they won't get back. They're gone. Those years are gone. And yet, an early start counter, that's what gets them fired up. Not, not health damage to children, child abuse. Child abuse doesn't get people fired up. But this gets people fired up. We got to have a counter. And I'm telling you, as someone who has been at almost every single school board meeting for almost going on a year, I think the first one I went to was maybe May. For someone who's almost been to every school board meeting over the past year, I have not heard one person and maybe I missed it, but I have not heard one person get up and speak at public comments and say, we got to have a change to this calendar. Again, not saying it's not important, not saying it's not a good thing. I'm just saying I haven't seen that. But what I have seen is meeting after meeting, email after email, phone call after phone call, public outrage after outrage to get this board to take serious action to fight the tyranny that has been oppressed on our people for the last two years and we could we could it, it took us months to get them to finally drop the mass mandate and we never could get them to do anything about quarantine or sending healthy kids home or anything like that so when it came down to it when when it was all when freedom was on the line when the health of our children your children and children across counties, when, when the health was on the line, there was only one thing they knew how to do. And I'll, I'll let uh, Dustin Lisk, one of our new school board members, tell you all about it. Here's the deal. This board is going to follow the law, to follow the law, to follow the law. Yeah, that's right. Follow the law. That's all they knew how to do was follow the law. When tyranny is oppressing you, follow the law. Oh, your children are being abused by the school system? Follow the law. Um, healthy children are being sent home and, and missing tons of hours of, of schooling, watching school performance, as, we, as we've seen by NCDPI's recent report, watching uh, school performance go through the toilet? Follow the law. So this is inexcusable, and these folks must be held accountable. They all have been complicit in, if nothing else, allowing the tyranny that has been put upon the people of our community, and I'm sure boards, the boards in your communities have done the same thing. This is what it, I point this out. It's so important to call this story out, and I posted it on Facebook, and so many of you may have seen it, but I'm reiterating it here on the podcast for those who haven't seen the post or who are not here locally in the Stanley County Freedom Network. You need to notice what your representatives, what your elected officials look like when they really want to fight something. And that's the important difference to make here is that when they were really passionate, they, they've gotten resolutions. They went to the county commissioners, and let's throw them in here too. The county commissioners, oh yeah, let's jump on that bandwagon. Yeah, let's, let's join up with the school board. Let's pass a resolution to, uh, to uh, get this early start calendar going. Heaven forbid, we've got to get that. But we went to them as well, and we said, you need to put pressure on the school board. You need to put pressure on the health department. Couldn't get them to do nothing. So, you know, our local officials here, all Republicans, by the way, all Republican school board, all Republican county commission, 
when it came down to the health of our children, when it came down to facing tyranny, follow the law. And when yet when it's early start calendar time, well, let's, let's move heaven and earth, people. Go talk to your friends. Let's let's go rally other counties together. Let's let's get a movement going here because we got to get that early start calendar going. It's disgusting. And I can't stand it. All those responsible must be held accountable so that this never happens again. So now let's get to today's freedom focus. So in today's Freedom Focus, I interview a good friend of mine, or at least a man I've come to know and become a good friend with, uh, Levi Green. Uh, here in Stanley County, I mentioned before, we started something called the Stanley County Freedom Network, uh, a group that actually wants to fight for freedom uh, here in our county and hopefully you know, uh, to help across the state as well, but, but certainly here locally, building a culture, giving people a voice, allowing them to, to voice their concerns and helping them to organize to fight for what they believe in. And Levi Green has been a pivotal uh, component of that over the past six months or so since we started going to these meetings and, and I guess going into last summer. Um, he was one of the most vocal folks at uh, school board meetings, speaking out at public comment several times. Um, you know, very passionate in what he believes and, and has fought really hard for the children here. And, you know, ultimately that parlayed into running for county commission, seeing an even bigger opportunity even beyond the school board to make a bigger impact. And Megan Allman, who I interviewed in, um, in one of my earlier podcasts, Megan's also a part of this group that's helping to take freedom back here in our county. Um, and so Megan uh, and Levi both live in District 1. And so Megan uh, is going to run in or is running in the school board seat for District 1. And then Levi is running for county commissioner in District 1 as well. So we've got two great freedom fighters out there in the western part of our county. Um, and I wanted you to hear directly from him on what he's got to say and why you should uh, vote for him later this year. So let's hear from Levi. Levi Green, welcome to the First and Freedom podcast. How you doing? Doing great, Jason. Thanks for having me. Yeah, you're welcome. Um, so let's just jump right in here. Um, let's just start by telling the listeners a little bit about yourself and why you chose to run for county commissioner. Sure. Um, so I grew up in Stanley County. I was uh, raised here, went to school here, graduated West Stanley High School. Um, after high school, I went to UNC Charlotte, uh, where I earned degrees in uh, finance and operations management. Um, I moved away to South Carolina after college. Um, I began a career as an operational analyst uh, in automotive um, and ultimately ended up in Michigan, uh, running a plant uh, in Michigan. Uh, so I was gone from Stanley County for almost 10 years, uh, and we've been back in Stanley County for almost 10 years. Um, I'm married uh, to my wife, Dee. We have three children. Uh, Bridget's uh, 13 years old. Uh, my son, Sean, is 10. And my youngest son, Anson, uh, just turned eight years old. Um, you know, as far as why I'm running, I mean, I've got uh, quite a bit of background uh, in operations, um, analytics. Uh, I've led uh, several plants. Um, and I've designed and built uh, over a half a billion dollars of infrastructure and manufacturing facilities, um, doing project management, uh, you kind of name it, uh, on three continents and 10 countries. So uh, a lot of background from uh, the standpoint of, of growth and, and development. But th the reason why I chose to run really boils down to 
me being happy up until uh, about a year ago or two years ago uh, to just spend time with my family and, and trusting that things would work out as long as I voted conservatively. Um, and, and I couldn't have been any more wrong. Um, we, we found out after the pandemic hit and we started, you know, analyzing uh, what was going on, what the risks were to ourselves as well as our kids, uh, kids in general. Uh, and we started seeing a lot of nonsensical uh, decisions being made. Um, and, and really just to the point where I couldn't wrap my head around how uh, an educated person um, could make decisions like that with the same data that I was seeing. Um, so that, that really launched my interest into uh, local politics, first as, a, let's say, an adversary of the, <laughs> of the local school board. Mm-hmm. Um, but, you know, upon digging and learning more, uh, where does the money come from for the school board? How does the county work? How is the health department run? Um, all those things led me um, to, to become more and more active and, and team up with uh, Megan Almond and uh, Patty Crump, Tommy Townsend, and the Freedom Network uh, within Stanley County. And it just became apparent that I needed to do something and, and use the abilities that I've been, been blessed with and given um, for, the, for the betterment of our county. Great. Yeah, no, I totally understand that. Um, if ultimately elected in November, what are your top priorities and the things that you hope to accomplish? Sure. So for I, I've made it abundantly clear uh, many times on, on Facebook, on the campaign page, uh, my number one priority is not only my kids, but the, the children of Stanley County. Um, that doesn't negate any other priorities that come further down the list. But, you know, we have children that are, you know, at this point, five years old, six years old in school that had, had never until just a few weeks ago been to school without having to wear a mask. Kids that are learning how to read, learning how to speak. Um, they've dealt with some of the worst tyranny that, that I've ever seen in my, in my life, actually the worst tyranny I've ever seen in my life, um, stuff that would shock you about this country. So I, I'm not ready to let that go. Um, even though some things have changed, um, people need to be held accountable. Uh, the, the nefarious intent that, that was delivered by uh, Anthony Fauci and, and right down through um, the Department of Health and Human Services, even at the state level and local level. Uh, I don't feel like is, is something that we can dismiss. So, so number one priority is making sure that never happens again uh, by, by, by putting protocols in place, um, changing the way that we on the local level deal with um, our, our health department um, and the power that they have. And, and you know, basically uh, doing everything in my power to eliminate the ability that they have to put in an endless emergency order uh, that doesn't really have any statistical boundaries. Um, which is what we saw. So that, that's first and foremost. And I know I got kind of lengthy on that, but that's, that's the passion that got me into this. And that's the passion mm-hmm. that I'm going to carry through. Um, other things for, for Stanley County that are you know, worth mentioning, our law enforcement officers, our firefighters, our EMS were, are underfunded, most ca- in most cases underpaid uh, compared to surrounding counties. Um, it's pretty drastic. And, and in today's uh, market, the job market, we find, um, you know, police, firefighters leaving, going to other uh, non-service uh, jobs or going to uh, other industries altogether. Uh, it's, 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 it's tough uh, in our county. And I think that's something that we need to address uh, in order to be competitive and deal with the growth that we're seeing in Stanley County. Uh, our health department, 
Um, I've touched on that already. Um, so I'll, I'll spare that. I had that on the mm -hmm. list, but I covered it first. I think there's a lot to do. Um, I think our current economic growth strategy is centered around promoting new housing developments um, at the expense of the existing residents. Um, there's a lot of debate about that. That seems to be a very hot button issue with the existing county commissioners when you mention it. Um, but my opinion is we, we've severely overburdened our infrastructure um, and we haven't concentrated enough on growing industry. Now we're seeing that tide turn, but you know, rising tides, um, rising tides raise all ships, right? So when you've got a booming job market, booming industry, of course our industry is going to improve, but I wanna know what we're doing and I wanna be involved in doing things to ensure that growth um, carries on. So really, um, last statement, you know, my, my pledge is to support our law enforcement officers, our firefighters, our EMS, and do everything in our power um, to correct any of those funding issues and concentrate on controlled, reasonable growth within the county from a residential standpoint um, and, and concentrate on incentivizing new growth of uh, industry. Um, just one point of clarification. When you talked about um, sort of burdening existing taxpayers with um, the new growth. Can you explain a little bit more about what that is just so people understand? Yeah, so particularly with uh, water and sewer, but it goes it goes to school systems, it goes to uh, the sheriff's department, you know, all those things, uh, the needs increase as population growth increases. So, you know, the water and sewer is probably the easiest, most tangible one to pick on. Um, but if your population increases, uh, statistically, your crime rate's going to increase and the burden on your jail system and your law enforcement officers is going to increase. Um, with, you know, kind of track home, new construction, we've got, uh, to my knowledge, at least four neighborhoods just in the Stanfield Locust area right now that are going in. Uh, we have a couple others that are under construction that have already been started. That these these homes are um, in most cases what I would consider uh, starter homes. They're family homes. So so people buy those homes in general um, to to raise a family. So that means there's kids associated with that house, which means there's a, a school system uh, a burden. And and you know I'm happy to see the growth. I think a lot of people have uh, treated it as if um, I'm anti-growth just because I want uh, to make sure that we can handle it. But but. Uh, that's that's contrary to how I feel. I just don't want to see uh, things get overburdened. And and basically what happens if we take the water and sewer example is you and I are existing residents of Stanley County. Um, if we approve a neighborhood and that neighborhood has, you know, 300 homes and those 300 homes require, let's just say, water and sewer, uh, part of that's done by the, the neighborhood developer, the person that's building it. But sewer system plant improvements or pump stations and things of that nature that, that, that are triggered because of capacity concerns, those are funded by us, oftentimes through loans. Uh, we just approved, I think it was $5 million for a pump station on Liberty Hill. That's, you know, could be argued that's needed because of growth or just because of maintenance, but it's a decent example to share. Um, we're signing our names as a county to that note um, to bring folks in. And I think more of that share um, of burden for that growth uh, should come out of the, the growth that's happening. So from the, the develop, developers as they're building these um, neighborhoods, um, not being anti-growth, but just making sure that we're not 
you know, unfairly taking a tax burden for growth that we didn't, you know, ourselves as taxpayers ask for. Yeah. So I think bottom line is what a lot of people may not understand is that the the property taxes that are collected for those new homes don't cover the cost no. of the infrastructure. So you have to figure out, at least as a as a county, how are you going to pay for that without hopefully raising taxes, which obviously nobody right. wants. And right. I think, you know, and, and that's been a credit to the county for the last, well, I think it's what we're 14 years without raising property taxes, which is great. And I'm sure, and that's, that's an yeah. attraction for people. So um, kind of going back to, uh, you mentioned about the pandemic, you talked about the health department. Um, and obviously that was sort of a big issue that, that pulled you into all of this. Um, if we could do the pandemic over again, um, and other than the health department, since you already talked about that, what would you have done differently than the current board? Yeah, so I think within within roughly three months. So, so I, I had this conversation with some uh, some some friends last night, actually, right after the county commissioners meeting. We were talking about, you know, how we how we faced the issues back in March of of uh, twenty twenty. Um, I would say I was just like everybody else. You know, this this new thing's happening. It's coming over from uh, from China. Uh, we're seeing it spread across Europe and other countries. Um, there was a lot to be worried about. There's a lot of things that were um, unknown. There were a lot of things that that we um, tried to understand, but you know, didn't have data to back mm-hmm. up. Um, so I was careful. You know, we we followed the uh, the the recommendations. You know, we stayed home two weeks to you know flatten the curve, <laughs> right. whatever. I mean, I, I remember it like still it going. <laughs> yeah, still going. Um, you know, the the thing is it became very apparent. And let's, let's just say, I'll give, I'll give a very generous 90 days. So 90 days into this thing. So April, May, June, by summer of, of uh, 2020, um, the statistics were there. You, you saw death rates, you saw hospitalization rates, you saw the ability to, to look at all of this and, and start gathering some, you know, empirical evidence as to what you needed to do. And in Stanley County, the last time I checked, even though, the, the health department and certain a certain county commissioner wants to um, make you believe otherwise. This this thing's not dangerous to people uh, under thirty five years old. There hasn't been a single death uh, of someone under thirty five years old. Yet the folks in our county that face the strongest control measures as a result of COVID were our children, um, which is absolutely insane. Um, what would I have done differently? I think I would have. Um, you know, pulled back from the hysteria a little bit earlier and pushed for a uh, more common sense approach. You know, we we oftentimes hear during this process, our hands are tied. We've heard it from our school board. Uh, we've heard it from our county commissioners. We just have to do uh, what what uh, Cooper and and the uh, state health department tell us to do. And, and we know for a fact that's not true. Uh, based on evidence from other counties. So I'd I'd like to believe, um, I hate playing Monday morning quarterback, but I I like to believe um, that that awakening that I had very early on in the pandemic would have happened if I was county commissioner. um, And I would have pushed for, you know, more realistic, sensical sensical approaches uh, to the pandemic. Uh, The blanketing of, you know, get the mask and get the jab, um, it doesn't fit everyday life. I mean, I don't know very many people who are willing to push measures like this on their children when their children are not uh, at any risk of this disease. Yeah, thanks. Um, So switching gears a little bit, um, at least as far as I know, and and again, maybe there's another issue out here that I'm just not aware of, but one of the most contentious issues with the existing board 
um, has been cell tower placement. So <laughs> most of the most of the issues that they vote on are pretty much either unanimous or there may be one or two, right. you know, uh, opponents or something. But with the cell tower issue back, I guess it was last year, they were split right down the middle. Yep. Um, they, I think it was four, three for a while. And then, and then uh, commissioner Allman recused himself and then it was a three, three split and, and so on and so forth anyway. So there was a lot of, lot of uh, concern about that within the community, I think was down within Norwood and, and placement of Verizon cell tower. So now the County commissioners, at least as I understand it, are looking to try to establish sort of zoning rules that would govern cell tower placement. Um, and that way they don't have to vote on every single one that comes across, which I understand that to a point. Um, so they had started a series of sort of community meetings about that. And then those were paused, I guess, for further research. So just wanted to get your perspective on, you know, what principles or factors do you believe should govern rules for cell tower placement? Yeah. So this is, um, this is an interesting subject, honestly, that's, it's a minefield, right? Because on the one hand, uh, if you oppose cell, cell tower placement, you're standing in the way of progress. Um, on the other hand, um, if you're if you're in favor of it and and you don't do it with any type of uh, reasonable approach, uh, you're you know quote unquote harming people. I don't have a direct answer for this one, um, and I hate that because it's a, it's a very complicated issue. I've spent a lot of time uh, reading. Uh, I've heard a lot of the information about uh, the the perceived dangers of cell phone towers. Um, my jury is personally still out. That doesn't mean that I believe that they're not potentially harmful. Uh, it just means I'm looking and studying and, and gathering more evidence. Um, I think the other thing to look at is if you were um, in the 1800s when the railroad was being built across the uh, United States, if, if you, you were a person that wanted to use that railroad for commerce or transportation, you were happy about it. Um, you were you know, happy to get on that train or have a product shipped to you, you know, out past Missouri. Um, but if you were one of the farm owners that the railroad came straight through your house and the government, uh, through manifest destiny said, Hey, you don't have a choice. You weren't, you weren't pleased about it. Um, so, you know, it's one of those type of issues where you have to do what is, uh, what is the best that you can do because progress is going to happen. Um, the cell phone towers are going to be built because that's how, uh, internet's going to be delivered. Uh, one of the ways internet's going to be delivered to our County being a very rural County. Um, and I think, you know, in general, the zoning approach is a, is a pretty good idea. Um, but I think that, you know, you have to take into account um, the situation of the, you know, retired woman who has some health concerns and she's worried about it. And it's going to be, you know, a, a couple hundred yards from her house. Um, and you have to take that into consideration. And, and I don't know what type of compromise has come from uh, the cell tower or the cell phone companies that are trying to build the towers when a situation like that comes up. I'm just not privy to all of that. Uh, again, I'm learning, um, but I think a standard approach of here's our zoning recommendation for the cell phone tower and then manage by exception uh, if there is an issue, I think is probably the best approach. Got it. Um, at a county commissioner's meeting earlier this year, um, the Department of Social Services gave a report um, just sort of on the, on the state of things. Um, and they reported quite, I don't know, just like it was just a normal thing that 25% of the county is on Medicaid. Um, and of course, it's growing. It's not declining. I mean, it was, you know, we're, we're always adding new people to the roles. So um, there was no notable reaction either way from the current board. I just want to get your thoughts on that. Like, what's your, just what's your, sort of gut reaction to that fact and, you know, 
what sort of perspective, I guess, can you share on it? Yeah. So, so the listeners, um, unfortunately won't be able to see the, uh, the smile across my face, the smirk, um, right. you know, it, the, the, the health department, when they delivered that, uh, that statistic, I mean, almost did it like it was a badge of honor. Um, mm-hmm. you know, look, we've got 25% of the population on Medicaid. Um, <laughs> and, and it just kind of, it kind of fell flat in the room. I mean, people were kind of looking around at each other and questioning what the, um, what, what the commentary was going to be from the commissioners. But, um, look, I, I think that's, um, you know, twenty five percent of the people on Medicaid is is definitely not a positive uh, metric as far as I'm concerned. I, it, it's 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 a metric that you want to see go down uh, versus go up. And and we did hear you know some commentary coming from the county commissioners like, hey, uh, you know, do we know that a lot enough people know about this other program? Are people able to sign up for it? I mean, how are we advertising it? And you know, I. <laughs> I just I feel like that's a little bit of a backwards approach to it, but I, I did some some um, some digging on it since then, and so our, our county has sixty two thousand five hundred people. Uh, that's a as of April twenty twenty, the most recent census. Um, we have a poverty rate that's uh, roughly fourteen and a half percent. So that's uh, people uh, within the county that would fall below the poverty line, either as a family or as an individual. Um, you know, in the county, there's there's roughly um, uh, just under 11% of residents who are under 65 years old uh, who are on disability. Um, so if you do the math, 25% of the county on Medicaid, um, that's going to be roughly 17,000 to 18,000 people. Um, right now we have 19,000 people unemployed. So 30% of the county uh, as of 2020 was unemployed. The, the interesting thing is um, those under the age of 65 uh, represent about 80, 81% of the population. So that's 50,000 residents, give or take. Um, so of those residents, 5,400 are on disability versus the 19,000 employable people who are currently unemployed. So there's definitely uh, an issue there. And I'm not the one that's going to try to say nobody gets any type of benefit. <laughs> right, Safety net right. has to exist. Um, you know, I, I grew up, you know, we didn't have a whole lot. Um, I, I used some of those services when I was a kid um, or when I was younger. I had to have some uh, surgery and it was it was helped out by uh, one of those groups. So, you know, I'm not I'm not going to say we don't do it, um, but but I do think it's it's hyper inflated at this point. Um, and and the, the, the numbers, the percentages don't add up. So if you look and say, you know, any one of these groups, people over 65 is 20 percent of the population. People less than 18 years old is about 22 percent. Um, but 25 percent of the county is on Medicaid. So we're sampling kind of across the population. And I feel like there's a lot of people in that mid range. Well, we I don't feel like it. I know from the data with 19,000 people unemployed, according to the last census, there's plenty of people in that group that are that are using those services when um, they could go get a sign-on bonus to work at KFC. Um, so there's there's things that can be done, and I think um, I also heard from a um, uh, a good friend of mine. Uh, he had a buddy that um, had to have a surgery, and uh, the, he was pushed to you know sign up for some benefits. I believe the guy's uh, retired, you know, fixed income. And he went and signed up for benefits and, and good for him. Um, he got uh, a certain amount of money, a few hundred dollars a month to help with food. Um, but he told his friend who I'm friends with that, you know, hey, um, I didn't have to do anything to prove my need. And, and by that, he meant I didn't have to prove my income. I didn't have to prove 
you know, really anything. I just said, hey, I need help. And they gave it. And, and, and while that's good, there's not a lot of hurdles. You know, that's going to get gained. That, that, that system is going to be gained. Um, my final point on that is our health department gives away needles uh, for drug use. That's another um, thing, a service that they provide yeah, the county. It's crazy. Um, so, so if we give away, you know, needles to 500 people, how many of those 500 people are sampling the uh, 25% Medicaid service on the side? Mm-hmm. Um, it, it doesn't add up. And I think that, you know, some major reforms, um, you know, outside of the county level uh, need to happen. Uh, with that. And, and and definitely we can't wear 25% Medicaid usage as a badge of honor as a county. That's something we need to be working to drive down. Yeah. One of my earlier podcasts I talked about, or earlier ones this year, as I was getting started, I talked about sort of a county freedom index that I was putting together and really just trying to look at what are some measures that we can look at on a regular basis to basically know what it is that we're trying to achieve. You know, when we talk about becoming more free, we talk about being the freest place we can be. We have to have some type of goal in mind. And one of those is reducing government dependency. You know, the, 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 the percentage of our population that is dependent on the government is a sign to me of how free or not free we are. Because obviously, as we know, the more people that get uh, dependent on the government, they don't usually ever get off. They just become more and more dependent. And then that gives government more and more control. And as we've seen over the past two years in the pandemic, that's been pretty tragic. So anyway, no, very helpful there. Um, I guess uh, just kind of getting up here to the end, you know, when it all boils down to it, you've got two opponents, Mike Barbie, Mike Hagler. Um, I think uh, obviously uh, Mr. Barbie's been uh, in county politics for a while. I think he's been on the school board, been on the county commission. I think Mr. Hagler is a Locust City Councilman, if I'm not mistaken. So he's been around as well and a sheriff's deputy. Why should the folks vote for you over them? Yeah, so so first and foremost, I won't say anything negative about either one of those gentlemen, and and uh, nobody will get me to. I think Mike Barbie's one of the nicest uh, men I've spoken to in quite some time. I've spent a lot of time getting to know him. He knew my father. Uh, I've known Mike Hagler my whole life. Um, you know, if, if someone chooses to not like either one of those uh, individuals, that's their choice. That's not <laughs> that's not something I'm going to influence. But you know, as far as I'm concerned, I'm not running a campaign like that. So, so why should somebody vote for me? Um, look, I'm not a politician. Uh, I run uh, businesses in three different states, um, senior director of operations. I had a very happy life, happy career before uh, I decided to get interested in this. Um, but I've got a track record of, of, of making things better. Um, to give you an example, in the past two years, I've grown, uh, I've grown my three businesses by over 30%. Um, on revenue um, in the midst of a pandemic. So, so that's something I'm good at. Now, you know, I live in a world of competition. So if I don't do it, my competitor will, and I will suffer the consequences. My decisions have, they carry a lot of weight, both good and bad. Uh, if I fail, people um, can lose their jobs. And, and, and I take that very seriously. Um, from, a, from a county government standpoint, um, I know it's not a, a for-profit business, but I, I do believe that those principles uh, lend themselves very well to improving efficiency of a local government. And I think if we look at the amount of employees in our local government, look at where our money is spent, there's probably some, some inefficiencies there as well. Um, I bring a, a very fresh set of eyes. I bring a business perspective uh, to this county. I bring an outsider perspective, one that um, I'm looking at situations that I see and just asking why. 
uh, I, I say it very often at work. I'm the guy that's not afraid to ask the stupid questions and have everybody look at me like I'm an idiot because, hey, somebody's going to ask those questions. And, you know, I've built a career on asking stupid questions that I didn't know the answer to. And sometimes I find out that the people who should know the answer don't. Yeah. And that's that's bad. So that, that's the way that I approach things. I approach things from a very from a very. Uh, inquisitive manner. Um, I'm willing to do the research. Uh, I woke up <laughs> over Thanksgiving. I think I told you this before in a personal conversation, but I, I, I was having some trouble sleeping a couple nights before Thanksgiving. And so two mornings in a row, I woke up at three o'clock in the morning and uh, I read through uh, the financial statements. And for those those <laughs> folks on the on the uh, podcast who aren't familiar, the, the financial statements for Stanley County are 150 pages. Um, so that was my morning reading. Uh, that that's that's how I am when I'm curious about something. Um, I'm willing to do the work, uh, and and I, I feel like I bring a very fresh fresh perspective. Um, that's what I'm asking folks to to have some confidence. I'm a conservative Republican. Um, I think both of my opponents are, um, but I think the the differentiating factor is when I see something wrong, I'm willing to fight it tooth and nail. Um, and and I may not win. I may not be successful, but they're going to know I was there. And by they, I mean, you know, Roy Cooper, uh, the health right. department, they're going to know where I stand. And, and that's, that's my commitment to the folks of Stanley County. So if people want to follow your campaign or support you in any kind of way, where can they go to do that? Yeah, the easiest, uh, the easiest way is Facebook. Um, right now I have a Facebook page, uh, Levi Green for County Commissioner. Um, you can go there. Um, please follow if you're on Facebook. Um, but also more than happy for you to email, uh, email me. It's green, G-R-E-N-E dot Levi, L-E-V-I at gmail.com. Um, I'm not just uh, going to hand my phone number out, but uh, I will absolutely get back in touch. I'll give you my phone number, but I'm a little bit hesitant of the uh, mass calls uh, sure, if, I, sure. if I do. So, um, but yeah, just please get in touch with me. Stanley County Freedom Network. We're having some uh, March 25th. We're going to have a candidate debate in New London at the fire department. Love to see some new people there. Um, we're going to have a couple of fundraisers. So I'm always willing to talk to somebody. I even uh, had someone that's stolen some of my signs a couple of times from no, no. Uh, partic a particular uh, uh, sponsor of ours. And uh, I reached out yesterday and said, Hey, if you stole it, put it up in your yard. That's great. That's fine. But uh, maybe take a little less risky approach and just call me if you want, if you want a sign. So right. I'm, uh, I'm pretty open and I'd love to get in touch with anybody who's curious to talk more about the things we spoke about today. Right. Well, Levi, thanks so much for your time. I appreciate everything that you're doing for the county, for your own family, for everybody's families out there, for the sacrifices that you're making. It's a big deal to run for office. It takes a lot of time and effort. Um, so I have, you know, my hat's off to anyone who's willing to jump out there and do that. So obviously we'll be watching the campaign. Wish you all the best. Um, certainly, I, as you know, I'm supporting you as well as uh, with Megan and, and Patty and, and Thomas as well. So um, we're definitely hoping for the best, but, um, you know, we're uh, doing everything we can to take freedom back. So thank you for your yep. contributions to that and uh, take care. Hey, thank you, Jason. Thank you, Jason. You have a great day. Yeah, you too. All right. And so uh, definitely appreciate Levi's time and, and uh, all the things that he's done so far and uh, wishing him all the best um, in his uh, upcoming primary. And I know I'll be doing everything I can to help him get elected. I hope you'll join me in that as well. So now it's time for action. So for action this week, um, similar to last time, 
you need to support freedom fighters running for office. And this goes across the board. Um, you know, if you heard, if you like what you heard from Mr. Green, support his campaign. You know, uh, you know, it takes money to run a campaign. When you're when you're a newcomer, you've got to get your name out there. You've got to get your message out there. You have to explain to people why they need change. And in order to do that, that takes money. You can't be everywhere at once. Obviously, he's got a full-time job and a family like everybody else, so he's doing the best he can, leveraging social media and other communication platforms. But the, the truth of the matter is, as much as we all hate it, it takes money to run a campaign. So anything you can do, if you believe in what he's fighting for, if you want to help support that, you know, it doesn't really matter. I mean, 10 bucks, 20 bucks, whatever it is that you can afford. If you can do a little bit now and a little bit later, we're doing a, a broader campaign here for our uh, freedom candidates here in Stanley County called uh, 10 for the Win, uh, where we're trying to raise $10,000 by Easter. And again, this is just to help us make that last push so that we can help win these primaries and get some real conservatives in there who will stand up for your rights and mine. And not only that, but I think we'll help be good advocates, uh, not just for our county, but across the state, people that want to partner with other freedom fighters in other counties and help move things forward for all of us, not just for their own individual county. But I think when counties partner together and fight for freedom together, if, if we would have been fighting with Union County, this whole time on the quarantines and the mask and all the things that they did to take a really strong stand against the, the state health department, we probably could have made a lot more progress faster. Um, so, you know, it's really important to have people that are willing to partner and work together. So if you can support his campaign, even if it's not monetarily, you can put a sign up in his yard or if you've got a business or someplace where you can put signage up, that's also a big help as well. So whether it's Mr. Green or whether it's candidates in your county, your locale, wherever it is, Find who those folks are, do your homework, and support them. They need your support. Just to tease, um, I, I recently did an interview with Ken Harper. Ken Harper is running for the United States Senate. Um, great man. Really enjoy talking to him. I met him here locally. So look forward to that. That's going to be up on an upcoming podcast where I'm going to talk about the United States Senate race here in North Carolina, a super important race. And you're going to get to hear from one of the candidates that you don't normally get to hear from. So hopefully you'll tune in for that giving you a uh, mask optional update. So um, last I checked today, there is now 110 of 115 school districts that are mask optional. So we've only got five more to go, folks. So if you're in one of those counties, I think it's uh, Durham, Northampton, um, there was a city school district in there. I can't recall the names. Um, but if you're in one of those locations, keep pushing. Don't give up. Get this thing across the line. We need to get all these kids uh, for a, a mass-free school environment. And then finally, going back to the, uh, the story that I mentioned earlier about our local school board here, we've got to hold these folks accountable. Whether they were ignorant, whether they were complicit, whether they knew the lie, whether they promoted the lie, whether they didn't want to know the lie, anyone who played a role in this must be held accountable. And we do that by electing officials that are going to do the right thing, that are going to that are going to hold higher level of positions accountable. It's not just a, we cannot move on from this and just forget everything that's happened over the past two years. We can't do that. We we must go back and see who did what, what was the damage done, who was responsible for that damage and then hold those people accountable, whether it is criminally, whether it is civilly, whether it is at the ballot box, whatever way it needs to happen, people need to know. Any future leaders need to know 
that you will not get away with this. And because if we don't, if we don't hold people accountable, if we don't institute the reforms that need to be there, this will happen again. And in fact, I'm sure there's the, the forces that be that are out there, and if no one else, certainly the enemy is plotting the next move. They're going to run this back on you. This will be just like a, a replay. They will run this same script on you. It might be for climate change. It might be this Russian-Ukrainian uh, conflict that's going on. Whatever it is, they're going to you know, basically tell you the sky is red and then gaslight you about the whole thing and say they never said it was red. I mean, that's the kind of ridiculousness that we're dealing with. Our country is being destroyed from the top down, and we've got to do something about it. Whatever it is that you can do, you've got to speak out. You've got to uh, get it active in your local community, with your cities, with your counties, whatever it is. Make the mark you can make. If everybody will do their part, we will make the big change that we want. But in order to get the big change, everybody's got to make the small changes. Well, that's all for this week. Thank you so much for listening to the First and Freedom podcast. If you enjoyed the show, please subscribe and give it a five-star review. That will help ensure other freedom-loving North Carolinians find it as well. The show can be found on Apple, Spotify, Google, or anywhere you go for podcasts. Finally, if you have additional feedback or show topic ideas, you can email me directly at firstinfreedom1776 at gmail.com. That's firstinfreedom1776 at gmail.com. Until next week, be first in freedom.